Right, we want to welcome you. Good morning to Midway Baptist Church for our wonderful time of worship today. Thank you so much for being here. We do hope that you're enjoying this beautiful morning, and thank you so much for, for joining us today. I want to take a moment to, um, to ask if you would, just, just click down uh, below for share. Uh, share with others that, um, that you're watching so that more can watch alongside of you today as, as we worship. But what a joy, what a privilege it is to be able to worship with you this morning. I want to share with you a handful of things, Midway folks, um, to, to remember that you might want to participate in um, in these next couple of weeks. Uh, one is a food drive um, that Thermal Belt Outreach is having um, at Harmon Field. That's going to be on Monday and Tuesday of this week from 9 o'clock until 5 o'clock. Um, and, and the way that it works is they're, they're asking for, uh, for non-perishable food items, toiletries, cleaning supplies, dog and cat food. And uh, the way this works is a drive-through, so it's just drop-off. You don't even have to get out of your car um, uh, or, or you, you're still minding social distancing, that kind of thing. But this will go to restock um, their shelves, and this is a really great way um, to help a local, a local um, outreach in, in our community. So if you'll part uh, uh, participate with that, that would be great. That's from Monday, well, Monday and Tuesday from 9 to 5 each day at Harmon Field. Also, um, want to invite you to a, a time of prayer. Uh, this, past, um, this past Tuesday night, we, um, we invited others to join us on Zoom for, for just an intentional prayer time. It went wonderful. We're going to do that again on May the 5th. Uh, that's next Tuesday, May the 5th at 7 p.m. And we'll be, sure to, um, we'll be sure to share with you the link for that um, so that everybody can participate that would like to. We're going to have a time of prayer on May the 5th, 7 p.m. Last but certainly not least, uh, the month of May uh, would be for our church the 80th anniversary um, since our founding um, in 1940. And uh, man, Midway has been so good. Uh, God has been so good to Midway Baptist Church. And we couldn't thank God more for all that he has done over these last 80 years through our church. And normally our homecoming service uh, is in the month of May. This year it was going to be scheduled for May the 17th. And while we realize we're not going to be able to be together on May the 17th, we want everybody to participate in a way of celebrating um, our 80 years together and giving God the glory for what he has done. And so here's what we're asking you to do at home. Um, there are lots of ways you can participate. On the 17th, though, we're going to take some time to, um, to just thank God for, for, for the blessing of our church, um, for the people that, that make it up, and, and praying, for, uh, praying for days ahead. And, and so here's what you can do to help us out. We're asking families to send in uh, videos um, to, to our church, and uh, we're asking for those videos um, to be about 30 seconds. And, and what, what we want you to do is, is just voice a, a midway memory or, or maybe a prayer, uh, a thanksgiving unto God, uh, maybe a testimony of something that God did um, uh, uh, in your life uh, while being a part of our church. But we would like for you to send that in. Um, and you can send that uh, to, uh, to secretary at mwbaptist.org. If you're not comfortable with sending in a video, um, that, that's certainly fine. Uh, you can also uh, send in a handwritten letter um, to the church. If you would do that, they will be read um, that morning during our homecoming service on May the 17th. But you can send in photos as well. Um, and we're going to be creating a, a slideshow of photos um, that commemorate our time at Midway. They can be past uh, or present photos, um, whichever you would like. We're going to try to put those together for folks to enjoy on May the 17th as we thank God for 80 years as a church. So um, you have until May the 10th uh, to do this. So, so May the 10th is going to be the due date for those to be turned in. We're going to be encouraging you um, to do that uh, throughout the weeks um, so, that, so that we can prepare for this. But we, we just wanted to have a special way 
um, to thank God for 80 years together as a church. Again, thank you for being with us this morning, and uh, we're going to go ahead and begin our worship service. All right, we ask that you join at home singing with us the power of your love.
Philippians 2, 15 through 16 says, You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Sing with us as we sing words of life. that you pray with me right now father we just thank you for the sunshine thank you for keeping us safe last night through the the storms and um we just uh, give you this time we just welcome your holy spirit and we just uh pray that you give us open eyes and open ears and open hearts to um to worship and to hear the word and um father we just um we just lift up um this county, the state, the nation, we just give it to you, Father, and all we can say is we just put it at your feet because you are in control, and, and we know that, we trust that, and that's what we believe, and um, Father, we just thank you for your presence, we thank you for what you do every day in our life, every minute, every waking moment, every sleeping moment, Father, you're there with us, you're beside us, you're guiding us and your lovingness. And Father, we just thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do today and every day. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask that you um, join us. If you don't know this song, it's called Good and Gracious King. And um, if you don't know the words, just sit back and just soak in the Holy Spirit.
together this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're taking a journey or making a journey back to where we began um, at, at the beginning of this year. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We, we spent the first couple of months um, going through this book together, making it all the way up to this point here in chapter 4, but went on a hiatus to study uh, some, passion, um, some passion narratives there um, in the Gospels. But it's time to get back uh, to this beautiful letter written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of just catch you back up um, to where we were in Ephesians so that you can understand better um, where we're coming from today when we talk about our uh, being united in spiritual diversity. The book of Ephesians is considered by many to be the Grand Canyon of the New Testament. Okay, it covers the vast depth and height and width and breadth of God's plan for humanity and for his family. Paul wrote this letter uh, around um, in the 60s AD from, from prison, um, if, you, if you didn't remember that. But, but he, was, uh, he, he was in Rome or Caesarea Philippi at the time, but man, he loved this church. He, he loved uh, the churches around Asia Minor, and, and he was under house arrest for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, he had a love for the gospel. Um, the other is he had a hatred for sin. Now, now, how do we know that? Well, because in Paul's day, uh, Rome was under the leadership uh, of, of an emperor named Nero. He, he was a godless man, uh, an evil pagan ruler, and he had an incredibly ungodly social and civic life that he was pushing uh, in, in Paul's time. It was violent. It was intertwined with, with pagan worship and idolatry. It was disgusting and immoral to, to the greatest sense uh, of your imagination. You name it, they had it. And, and so if you've ever walked through a city in the United States and ever felt evil in that city, I think that you can relate. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul was living through here in Rome. Rome was like that. The, the Christians, uh, they wouldn't participate in such immorality. Uh, and Paul was one of the leaders not participating. And for that, he was regarded as a pest. And, and he had quite a few things against him. He embraced Gentile people. And, and, and because he was not a fan at all of the Jewish system of doing things because he was a believer in Christ, they sought to destroy him, which led to his imprisonment, uh, which would ultimately lead to his death. So Paul is writing Ephesians under house arrest. But, but listen, being in, in prison, being in chains to a Roman soldier, that was nothing to bind him. Rather, he was still free to carry on in God's work for his life. And he had a calling as a believer in Christ and as a witness for Christ to lead uh, the church through this time. Paul was a prisoner for the cause of Christ. And he wrote this letter to express his love and concern for the saints at Ephesus. Regardless of the circumstance, Paul is worshiping and witnessing for the Lord Jesus. And, and that is a quick reminder for how we should live today. God does not desire for any of us to waste the time of the stay-at-home order. And our circumstances, believe me, are far better than what the Apostle Paul went through in his day. We're not in chains. We're not in uh, uh, immense persecution. And we have so much more at our disposal today than the Apostle Paul ever had. I I've tried to imagine 
you know, what Paul or Jesus or any of his disciples would have done with the opportunities that we have today uh, in, in our time. Just endless opportunities. But Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians with two things in mind. One was to exalt Jesus and the other was to encourage, to edify the church. Jesus is the exalted Lord of the church. Jesus is to be glorified. Jesus is to be worshipped and blessed and known throughout the world. And, and, and through the calling of the church, he is to be made known. And much attention through this letter is spent, built, on building up of God's people, the church. God's church is called to be more and more like Christ. And, and we are called to look like him, to live like him, to labor in his name, to long for his kingdom to come uh, again on this earth at his return. And for this to happen... We have to be about these things. Christianity was never meant to be Jesus and me under a tree. God has placed us in the body of Christ to accomplish his purposes. God has put us together so that when the world looks at us and hears us, they will say, now that is what Jesus is like. A disciple should be like his teacher. And Paul here is, is taking the time in Ephesians to exalt Christ, and to edify the church. I love the church. I don't know about you, but I, but I love the church. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because of my way of living is, is supported by the wonderful people at Midway. I love the church because you and I, in relationship with Jesus Christ, are in a forever family. Uh, we get to live and serve our King Jesus, and we get to worship together, united in every way for his cause, for his kingdom, for his glory. And, and that's what we are a part of, the church. You see, we're not, we're not uh, just, just a part of the church that lasts just a, a lifetime or a few generations after us or even a few centuries after us. We are a part of an eternal work, an eternal body. And the mission is for eternity, and it will last forever. We belong to the church. And that's what Paul set out to write to the Ephesian believers, that we are a united body of Christ on a mission for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Now, there are three themes that I've shared with you that run through the book of Ephesians, just as review. The three themes are this. We are called to believe on Christ. That's found in chapters 1 and 2. That means that we find our worth. We know who we are in Christ. We know what we believe in Christ. That is found. There's, there's doctrinal issues that are, that are discussed in chapters 1 and 2. And then in chapters 3 and 4, we're talking about building uh, his church, growing in Christ. We're talking about our wealth, that is, the riches that we have in Jesus. There are a lot of blessings, eternal blessings, spiritual blessings in belonging to Christ and building his church. That is covered in chapters 3 and 4. And then later down the road, in chapters 5 and 6, we're going to talk about how we battle for his cause. That means that we show Christ even in the thick of the battle. When we are in spiritual war, we are battling for his cause. Now, here we are in chapter 4, and there's a shift in focus. For much of the first three chapters, we focused on what a believer in Christ should know. But now we are moving on into how believers should live. Who we are is one thing. What we do is another 
But when they are together, that makes up the totality of a person. It's about remembering who you are that should shape how you walk. So you could say that, that Paul is, is taking us beyond uh, uh, words of information and is now moving us into a section on application. This is how we're to walk as the church. I've talked about what we believe. Paul says, now I want to focus on how we're to live. When, when we were last together in the book of Ephesians, we spent some time talking about our walk in Christ, found in the first six verses in chapter four. In the first few chapters, Paul was writing about who we are, a child of God. In the fourth chapter, he's saying, live as a child of God. Our call is found to walk worthy of the calling we have received. Now, now th- then we see some characteristics of that calling. We're to walk with humility. Uh, we're to walk with gentleness. Paul says we're to walk with patience. We're to bear with one another. We're to make every effort to, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is our cause, okay? And, and, and our cause is to be one, Paul writes. One as the body of Christ. We're, we're called in one spirit, one, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We serve one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But today I want to take us further. We've seen the unity in our walk. Now I want us to focus on the diversity that, diversity that is found in our spiritual body, in our unified body. Now, how can this be? Okay, this is a, a great family with a new and, and, and new faith and new life and new calling and new standards and a new relationship and different kinds of people from all walks of life. How can all of these different people be one and of the same? They're unified in Christ. They're unified in Christ. Christ is the foundation. Christ is our commonality. Christ is what brings us together. And we would be foolish. We would be foolish to think that there are better or more elite Christians out there versus others. Okay, We are the same in Christ. We all have been at one time worthless and wretched and condemned in our sin But we were all miraculously saved by the grace of God and brought into his family. And yet at the same time, while we are one and the same, we are a diverse family, a sacred and unified family in Christ. We have this unbreakable bond in the Lord and we all have gifts and talents that God has blessed us with to enhance the body of Christ. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is to to share a message about our spiritual diversity. And one of the goals that I have today is this. I want for us to walk away being more thankful unto God for the church than we ever have been before. I want you to be thankful for uh, the people, the members that make up the body of Christ. I want you to be thankful for their calling. I want you to be thankful for their passions to serve the Lord. I want you to be thankful for their desire to make Christ known in unique ways. Be thankful for the mission of the church as we read this text today and how it's accomplished. And be thankful for the movement of the church. For we understand that God has blessed and sanctified and protected and preserved the spreading of the gospel all over the world. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are a part of a special body in the Lord Jesus. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And I'm going to share with you this morning some characteristics of our spiritual diversity. Paul writes, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to focus on some characteristics of our spiritual diversity today. Let's focus in on this, the source of our spiritual diversity. Think about the source. Who who makes us so unique as the church? We're going to learn today that that is the Lord Jesus. I want you to take a look at at verse 7 here in chapter 4. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want for you to understand this today. Consider what you are gifted to do in the body of Christ. Maybe today you're listening and and you are a teacher. Maybe you are a pastor. Uh, uh, You read about the apostles. You read about the prophets. You read about the evangelists. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you go into 1 Corinthians 12, there are lots of different spiritual gifts that that each of us uh, possess. Now, you don't possess all of them, but you you possess some of them or at least one of them. And that came when you put your faith in Christ. But there are different gifts. Like, Paul talks about how there's the message of wisdom or the message of knowledge or faith or healing or prophecy or tongues or interpretation of tongues. Romans 12 talks about the gifts of encouragement, giving, uh, leadership, mercy, prophecy, service, teaching. This is a diverse body. That's what I want you to understand. Nobody possesses all of the gifts, but everybody possesses a spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. I'm asking you today, what is yours? What is your spiritual gift that will edify the body of Christ, build up the body of Christ? Because here's the thing, as you are gifted in any way, I don't want you to think for a second that this is on your own ability or your own strength or your own power. Okay, Christ gave you the giftedness that you have in the church. These gifts were given to you so that you would not boast in yourself and what you do. We are to boast in the Lord. And here's why. He has made us, he has gifted us, enabled us, and saved us to be used by him for his glory, for his honor, for his praise, for the advancement of his kingdom. You know, the reason I do what I do Okay, I think about the preaching of the gospel. And for anyone else who preaches the gospel, our preaching of the gospel is not for us to make our name great. Okay, uh, uh, our teaching and writing and encouragement, 
leadership thereof in the church, serving, shepherding. It's not meant to build up the pastor. It's not meant to build up the preacher. The only reason we get to do what we do and serve is because of our our Savior and our God. Read verse 7. It says that Christ, it is because Christ has gifted us. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, so I need you to understand and, and lean in on this word today. The essence of the gospel is not about what you or I do for God. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God can certainly do anything that he wants to do. God will take other willing servants if you're not willing to do what he calls you to do. Okay? God can do it himself. He doesn't, he doesn't need us. He has chosen to use us. By his grace, okay? He has graciously allowed us the opportunity to be his children. He has graciously allowed us to be his church. He has graciously allowed us to do his will, to do his work as the church. God calls us and enables us for his glory to do in response what he has done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is not about what we do for God. The gospel is about what God did for us. We are able to walk in Christ because of the work of Christ. Keep that in mind. We are able to walk in Christ because of the work of Christ. And we are to worship the Lord Jesus and build his church and edify his church and encourage his church and bless his church and ultimately be a witness to the world because of him. So there's no reason today to boast in yourself. There's no reason for me to boast in myself. My wife calls that getting the big head. All right. Uh, What do we have to boast in, to be honest? What do you have to boast in of yourself that will be eternal? Nothing but Jesus, I promise you. We need Christ. Without Christ, we don't have a mission. Without Christ, we don't have a message. Without Christ, we are nothing and have nothing. Sure, you have your skills, but to what end? Without Jesus, they just benefit yourself. They profit yourself. They build an earthly kingdom that's eventually turned to rubble. Christ is the source of the grace that gifts us. And it's by grace we are equipped to serve in the body of Christ. It's by grace that we are diverse as we are. So if you have a gift, a talent that God has blessed you with that equips and edifies the body of Christ, I am encouraging you to use it. Don't abuse it. I'm encouraging you to use it and not sit on it. I'm encouraging you to bless others with it so that they may know Christ. It is a grace gift. And God gave it to you to build up his kingdom. Grace is a beautiful word that that flows through the book of Ephesians and through the New Testament. Here's what grace is. Grace is the single word definition of the gospel, right? And that's why we read in verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of God's grace 
given to mankind who was sinful. God is a God of grace who freely gave us salvation in Christ Jesus. It doesn't have anything to do with what you and I have done or have failed to do. Grace is given, and our part, our part is to receive that grace. That's why I'm pleading with you today who are listening that have ever thought that you have anything to do with earning favor with God to earning a relationship with God, to be good enough, to be worthy enough. Stop doing that because we'll never be good enough. We'll never be worthy enough on our own. Scripture tells us, the Word of God tells us that the basis of the gospel is that we are sinful. We are hopeless. We are lost. We're without peace. We're without hope. We're without purpose apart from God. And God has given us grace. Grace is a gift. God has shown us the way to forgiveness. That's grace. God has shown us the way to fellowship with Him. That's grace. God has allowed us into His family. That's grace. Grace is unearned. You could work and work and work and never be able to earn favor with God because of our sin. We can't deserve it. We're unholy. God is perfect. God is holy. And He's just. You can't buy it. You can't heroically save yourself. The Bible tells us that we are just men. We are, we, are, we are dust. We are fragile people. We can't even control the next breath of air we have. Only Jesus can do that. So grace is God motivated. Grace is the good news that God extended when he extended his loving kindness towards us as sinners and gave us hope when we had none. And it's by grace that you are a part of the body of Christ. Don't take it for granted. Understand that when we are together, when we come together, who we are in Christ, this is a gift of grace. The church is a gift of grace. We have been sovereignly and intentionally chosen by God to be a part of the body of Christ. So if you are saved today, it was not a mistake. It was not for yourself. It was not for your glory. It was all for his. And in Christ, Christ is worthy to be given our lives and our hearts and our worship and our thoughts and our actions and our resources, our worship, all because of what he gave to us. So Jesus is the reason we're so different. Jesus is the source of our spiritual diversity. And he has in grace measured out his design, the specific portion given to individual members. So if you do anything for the Lord, a spiritual gift like we've read about, or like you can see in Romans uh, and, and in 1 Corinthians 12, it's all because of Jesus. He gave it to you. Bless him and bless others with it. I want to share with you the second thing, the sacrifice given for our spiritual diversity. Take a look at verses 8 through 10. These are a few verses that you're tempted just to skip over because sometimes we don't understand what we're reading. I'm going to try to help you understand today what verses 8 through 10 mean. It says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. I, I, I hope that you know where I'm headed with this point. Christ came and died for us. He was raised from the dead. And when he did that, he conquered Satan. He conquered sin. He conquered death by his death. And he led captive people, a host of captives, or he took captives 
captive, the scripture says. What does that mean? He took captives captive. Paul is using words from the 68th Psalm. Okay, so you have to parallel this text with Psalm 68, specifically, I believe it's verse 18. And, uh, and here, here's the thing. Psalm 68, David wrote as a victory hymn. Okay, it was a victory hymn composed to, uh, to, to celebrate God bringing victory to the Israelite people. What had happened is uh, David had, had conquered uh, through, through the Lord's help and the Lord's hand. They had conquered a, a, a pagan city, Jebusite city. And, and what happens is they celebrate their victory in the city uh, by ascending the Ark of a Covenant to Mount Zion. You can read about that, by the way, in 2 Samuel 6 and 7 and 1 Chronicles 13. But in those days, in David's days, when a king had a victory, when, when, when a king took an army and, and won a great battle, what they would do is they would bring home the spoils and the enemy prisoners to, bar- to parade before the winning people. So an Israelite king and his army and his support, his staff, uh, they, would, they would go through the holy city of Jerusalem and they would go all the way up to Mount Zion celebrating their victory. Kind of like, like a parade, you know, after a World Series is won or Super Bowl is won. You know, everybody, guys, hundreds of thousands of people gather together to celebrate the victory. Well, this is, this is one of those facets of victory in David's day. When they won a battle, They would parade it through the city and they would take the spoils. They would take enemy prisoners. They would even take prisoners that that were on their own team and parade them through the city as a way of victory. So here's another feature of the victory. They would display the king's soldiers who had been freed after being held prisoner by the enemy. And, And there they would recapture the captives. That's what that means. They would literally take people that had been captive and make them captives of their own and then set them free to show we won. We have the victory. Now, relate this to what Jesus has done for us. Paul took Psalm 68, 18, and what does he see? He sees in this text the incarnation of Christ. Jesus descended. God himself, his son, came down to this earth He also saw Christ dying on the cross. And when Christ died on the cross, we read further in Scripture that he descended below the earth to claim victory over the enemy. All right? And then we also read that Christ ascended back to to the Father. And so this is evidence of of our good and gracious King having victory, having rescue over over the enemy and giving us victory as the church. So, so I'm going to put all these verses in a nutshell here. Christ came and won the greatest battle against sin and death and hell and the devil and took hold of us. We were unsaved. We were enslaved. We were prisoners of Satan by our sin, but now we have been saved. We have been redeemed. We have been returned to the God, uh, to the good and faithful God, and we have been allowed into his kingdom. We were once captive. We've been taken captive by Christ, and now we have been set free by his blood. And when Jesus went to heaven, he didn't leave us empty-handed. If you look further here, in the verses, it says, it says, therefore, he says, when he ascended, verse 8, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Christ gifted us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us as orphans. 
and he didn't leave us powerless. He gave us the Holy Spirit, and he gave us gifts to accomplish his mission as the church. Now, some may be tempted to look at verses 8 through 10 and say, big deal. You know, Christ came and died and rose again. Same old story. Okay, I I remember, I'll tell you a story. I remember earlier in my ministry, there was a, a man who came to me, and he told me, that he saw no value in, in coming to church and being a part of the church because he already knew the gospel. And, 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 he, and he said, I already know the story. I already know that Jesus came and died and rose again, okay? He said, every sermon you preach, you, you, you preach the same gospel every single week. doesn't matter what you're talking about. You always end up with the gospel. And for that, I don't need the church. It's the same message every single week. You, it doesn't matter the subject content. You always turn it back to the gospel. I'm tired of hearing it. And, and they went elsewhere. Now, now, listen, that's a true story. Let me share with you that this today. I will never and you will never, ever, ever, ever be able to pass the gospel. Okay? You will never be able to get past it. Every facet of your life... From your salvation to the wonderful truth that that you're not going to hell to your identity in Christ, okay, who you are, how you live, the standards by which you live, what you do for a living, the way you lead your family, the way you spend your finances, the path that you take in life. Every part of my life is because Christ took me who was captive and set me free. Every part of my life. It's built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm not sorry. I I will not ever leave from preaching the gospel of Christ, that Christ died once and for all for my sins, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, according to 1 Peter 3 18 and 19 christ died and while in the grave he went to the spirits below and proclaimed victory and now all of creation is subject to his power all of creation is subject to his death is subject to him because of his death and resurrection and we when he ascended to heaven he forever was qualified as the exalted Savior and Lord of all. And Jesus today has the rightful rule and authority over our lives, his people. And Jesus has the rightful rule to give us spiritual gifts, to benefit the body of Christ, to be used for his kingdom purposes. It doesn't get any deeper than the gospel. So please, please do not ever unhitch from the church the crucifixion, the death, The burial, the resurrection of Christ. For that means everything for one of us who are serving the Lord with our lives. Christ led captive the powers of evil that once enslaved us and conquered us and attacked us and bound us. And now he has taken us captive to be set free. And he has gifted us to spread the gospel and build his kingdom. And not even the gates of hell will prevail. I want to share with you this final point. Okay. Moving on, let's see the service of our spiritual diversity. The service of our spiritual diversity. When you look at verses 11 through 16, you read about how he gave, him, he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers 
And you read in verse 12, it says, for what reason? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he talks about how we're matured in that faith. I love the spiritual diversity of the body of Christ. Okay, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that Christ has uniquely and individually but collectively designed his body, the church, to fulfill his purposes. I hope that when you read in 1 Corinthians 12, when you read in, in, in uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I hope you realize we need each other. We need the church. Okay, you need one another as the church. I need you as the church. The world needs the church. We are a part of one another. And, and, and Paul went further in, in the book of 1 Corinthians to say that we can never say to another member, I don't need you. That's like saying to, uh, you know, looking at your body and, and telling your left leg, I don't need you anymore and cutting it off. You're going to have a hard time walking. Or you do the same thing for the eyes or you do the same thing for your ears or for your arms or your hands or even your to, to say I don't need a part of the body is to say I don't need a part of Christ in the body. That, 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 that is so, that is so uh, uh, wrong of us to think that we don't need one another. We are a part of one another. Our spiritual well-being depends on our connection uh, with Christ through his body, the church. And as believers in Christ, we have been gifted, we have been designed, we have been appointed with various gifts. Now, in Ephesians, you see various places of service and leadership. Paul focuses on the leaders of the local church in this text. But in other books that he's written or other letters that he's written, he talks about the other gifts that are found in the church. But as you read in other accounts in Scripture, you see this wide range of how we serve Christ together. Everybody has their place. Everybody has their part. Spiritual gifts are not talents, by the way. They're not natural talents. Natural talents are what you're gifted with when you were born Spiritual gifts are given to you when you come to Christ. Now, I saw this weekend what this looks like in a, in a rather unique way. My boys were um, playing uh, with their Legos in their playroom, and uh, I, we, we heard them talking over, and they said, they said, Lego World doesn't have a church. They said, Lego World doesn't have a church. Which, and they also go, Lego World doesn't have a God. <laughs> in, in their own little minds, they crafted together the Lego First Baptist Church. All right, and, and I'm serious. I, I'll show you the pictures, okay, for you, for you to enjoy. This is Legoland Baptist Church. And, 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 and look at this church. Now, now what they had in mind uh, was a building, okay? And so they built a building. But as they further constructed the building, God used our two little boys, eight and five years old, to show us what theologians they are. And they started giving Lego people roles in the church. It was awesome. It was awesome, okay? Micah's church had a preacher. His name was Emmett, and he wears a hard hat. Looks like a construction worker. Uh, I told him it was to prepare for business conferences, okay? <laughs> there was a worship team. There was a worship team. Hey, guys in the sound room, they had a sound booth built for this church, and there was a guy who had the role of playing DJ. Like, he had, a, he had one of those discs, and it was one of those round circular discs, and he said, that's how they make the music. So there was a sound team for this church. There were Sunday school classes in this church, and they were set apart. And it started as, uh, it started at, the teacher was Dorothy 
the, the Lego Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, but evidently she was teaching false doctrine and Anna and Elsa from Frozen took over. Okay, so they were teaching the Sunday school classes uh, uh, there, there at the church. And then, and then um, there were members that were seated in the benches to learn. There was an offering plate. There was an altar. I mean, th- this was really, really good. Malachi had a preacher who was a police officer. And then, and then they had this weird pirate that was on their steeple. I'm not really sure what that, what that means, but uh, there was a praise team. And they had the two, uh, the two twin sisters singing. He said, he said, he said, uh, they think, he said, he said, they they think that they they sing, uh, but they need the others to help them sing. They kept saying they need others to help them sing. And and so they need Sunday school classes. And remember, I, I love that each of them realized that the church was more than a building. Okay. There were people, people with roles, people on a mission. And what Paul lays out here at Ephesians, he says, these are essential for a healthy church. And so he shares uh, with us the office of apostle. Okay, the office of apostle. The word apostle means sent one. Okay, it, it, how does this fit our present day? Because, because in the early days of the church, the apostles were those who had ministered alongside of Jesus, had seen Jesus, had, had written uh, these, these letters for us, the, these, the, this work here in the New Testament. And, and, and after, after the days of Paul, uh, you don't really hear about the office of apostle being used anymore. But I'm going to share with you this. While the office of the apostle may not no longer be needed, the giftedness of the apostle surely is needed. Apostle means gifted one, which fits our present term for missionary. Now, some are going to disagree with me. Some are going to say that the, off, the office of apostle is over. Some are going to say the office of apostle is not over. Uh, listen, I tend to agree that the apostles laid the foundation of the first century of the church because they had miracles that validated their ministry, and that was essential in their day. Apostles like Peter, James, and John, you know, they, they are long gone But I would not dare say that the ministry of the apostle isn't used today. It is. When you think of the word apostle, it means sent one. It speaks about their gifts. I'm not here to argue with you. And you can't be here to argue with me anyways. Okay, so there's no sense in that. Uh, uh, but, But here's the thing. We need gifted missionaries, don't we? We need sent ones to go out in the spirit of the apostle. We do. We still need those who are called and sent out to share the gospel. When the lost established churches, bodies all over, who have, no, who have no knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Okay. He also mentions the prophets. The prophets were foretellers, even more so than they were future tellers. Prophets were called to be bold proclaimers of the word of God. Uh, uh, prophets were given special revelation from God. Uh, uh, prophets were and are preachers of the word of God. And some will do it again. Some will say that the office of prophet has been removed after the completion of the New Testament because there is no new revelation. And I agree with that. The word of God is complete. And so we don't speak for God anymore. God has already spoken. And we speak the word of the Lord today as it is written. That's why we have to be very careful. You have to be very careful with those who claim to be prophets, those who claim to be apostles. I, 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 I would want to know what they mean by the word, but I would not argue. I would argue, I'm sorry, I would argue that the gift of prophet still exists. We still need men who are called to preach and point others to the word of God. We still need men who will proclaim, thus saith the Lord, who speaks alone by the authority of the Lord and who speaks solely the word of God, not their own. I would say, though, to these two offices, apostle and prophet, 
I would say that the gifts are still there. But I'd be very careful about using the titles, especially in the local church today, because they cause division inadvertently. Just no room for it. No need to argue over it. But he said God has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets. But then he moves on and he says, there are some who are called to be evangelists. These are men who proclaim the good news. The work and the ministry of the evangelist is to preach the gospel to those who have not believed. He is the proclaimer of salvation by grace through faith in the Son of God. Now, evangelists today differ from what we see in the first century. And here's what I'm going to show you, okay? Uh, some men believe that evangelists are guys who travel around the country with 10 suits and 10 sermons. They share their gospel under the tent, and then they leave. And they never have anything to do with, with the people after they believed on Christ. I'm not knocking what they do, okay? For, for it may very well be for the Lord Jesus. But I am saying the function of evangelists is meant to be more than just a quick sermon and then out the door they go. When you look in the New Testament, evangelists and missionaries and church planters, much like the apostles, just without the miracles and title, these men would go where Christ was not known, would lead people to salvation, and then they would stay a while. Evangelists were a bit different. That's why I think the ministry of Billy Graham is, is a direct reflection of what an evangelist should do. Because they would go into a city, when Billy Graham was leading his crusades, they would go into a city weeks and weeks, maybe months before, and begin the work. And then after people would come to faith in Christ, people would stay behind and help do follow-up. And what the, what the New Testament evangelists would do is they would share the gospel, they would lead people to Christ, and then they would stay and build them up, and then they would move on to new territory. They were called to teach and mobilize and lead others to fulfill the Great Commission by winning the loss to Christ. When I think of an evangelist, I do think of Randall Wood. Because he is about equipping people to know Christ. He equips others to share their faith. And he is more than willing to lead you to Christ, but also lead you in God's word. And then he mentions pastors and teachers. The word for pastor is shepherd. They care and protect and lead the flock of God. Teacher cannot be disassociated with the pastor, so they go hand in hand. So when you read these together, he gave some to be pastors, teachers. They go, they go together. He, he, he has gifted some to be pastor teachers. And in this passage, it's best to be read that way because they have, maybe they have different titles, but they're, they're, they're the same role. A pastor is a shepherd. An elder speaks of their maturity when you read about that in Scripture. A bishop speaks of being an overseer. In 1 Timothy 5.17, we read that the elders were hard at work preaching and teaching. They labor in exhaustion in the word and in the teaching. They lead God's church in truth, in doctrine, in belief, but also in living. I, I want you to see this today. Do you see how diverse the body of Christ is? You have those who are called and sent out to lay the foundations. You have those who are called and sent to preach the gospel. You have those who are called to share their faith, whether it be to large crowds or, or to, to one. You have those who are called and sent to lead and feed and provide for and protect the flock. But they minister to us and with us, but they don't minister for us. Here's why I say that. In verses 12 through 14, they minister unto us so that we will be built up and minister to others. Let's end today by reading verses 12 through 14. What is this all about? It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That is the role of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist to build the church. 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ, to bring them to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What do we see here? We see that every member in the body of Christ is a minister. These men who are called to these specific roles mentioned in verse 11, they are meant to edify you, they're meant to equip you, to educate you, but they're also meant to extend and establish you in the work of the ministry. To close today, the church is not meant to be a bus driven by a pastor where he tries to convince a bunch of people to get on board for the work of the ministry. You have been gifted by the Lord with their spiritual gifts for which the body of Christ is enhanced. And some are gifted in areas that others are not, but they are necessary so that the body of Christ matures, so that the body of Christ grows, so that the body of Christ is built up, developed, and grown, so that it's strong and vibrant and alive, so that we will know God fully and truthfully. God wants his church to be matured so that we won't be immature uh, like, like uh, in our faith, like a baby. He wants us to grow up in the body. Everybody has a part in that. And you have to ask yourself today, where am I in all of this? What part do I play? Surely there has to be more to being a part of the body of Christ than just coming to a worship service or sitting in a pew or sometimes coming to a fellowship meal or attending a business conference. What is your part in the body of Christ? And how are you making Christ known in what you are called to do? There are many opportunities before us. We just need to learn to listen and say yes to the commission of Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody, he was an evangelist, and he was once confronted by a person, and they, they criticized the way that he preached. They didn't like his grammar. They talked about the length of his sermons and the way that he conducted his rallies. They said he was too emotional. He was unsophisticated and unorganized, and Moody replied to them, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. What are you doing with what God gave you? I like the way I do it better than the way that you don't. We are all called to be equipped for the work of the ministry. We all have our place, and our place in the ministry is to be used by God to speak the truth in love so that others will grow up in Christ, who is our head and whom we are eternally connected. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of the church, the beautiful bride of Christ, the body of Christ, Thank you, God, for you being the source of our diversity. We are unique, and we are established, and we are fit in the body of Christ together because of you. And I can't today thank you enough for the grace bestowed on our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being the source of our diversity. Thank you, Father, for sacrificing yourself. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to pay the price for our sins, to set us free. Thank you, God, for descending and ascending so that we could be saved, so that we could be gifted, so that we could be equipped for the work of the ministry. And thank you, God, for the diversity, the spiritual diversity of the body of Christ. I today want to praise you and thank you for every single apostle and prophet of old. Thank you, God, for those that are being sent out today with the gift of the apostle. Thank you for the ones that are sent out today with the gift of the prophet. Thank you, God, for those who are evangelists who proclaim the good news of Christ throughout the world, who need to hear about Jesus that have never heard before. 
Thank you, Lord, for the many evangelists that have come into my life. And some of those evangelists were Sunday school teachers. Some of those evangelists were, were Bible drill leaders. Some of, those, some of those evangelists were preachers playing the part of an evangelist. Some of those were training me to do the work of the ministry. Thank you, God, for the evangelist. And thank you, God, for the pastors and teachers who, who, who lead us in the body of Christ so faithfully. Thank you, Lord, for their giftedness. Thank you, God, for their equipment. Thank you, God, for how they, they lead us and guide us, but also direct us into your will and your way through the teaching and preaching of your word. Thank you, Father, for, for gifting us so diversely in the body, for all the gifts that are mentioned throughout Scripture. I'm just praying, Lord, that our church family would understand that we all have something to offer the body of Christ given to us in grace by the Lord Jesus. I want to pray for those today who, who don't know Christ. I pray, God, for those who, 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 who aren't a part of the body of the Lord Jesus, but they can be right now if they would put their faith and trust in Christ as the Son of God. I pray today that they would know that Jesus paid it all. Jesus gave his life. He died. He arose. He paid the price for their sins, and he has given them an opportunity right now to receive him in faith, to believe on him in faith, and to walk with him throughout their days here on earth, but into eternity forever in heaven with you. Thank you, God, for the church. Oh, how we love what you're doing in the church. And God, I'm grateful to be a part of a wonderful family here at Midway. Bless them today as they go. I pray, Lord, that they would share the gospel this week. I pray, God, that they would know they have everything they need in Christ to be effective for the work of the ministry. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close out today, um, we're going to close out in song here in a moment. And uh, uh, what we've been doing as a church family, I wanted a, a, a visible way to, uh, to show you, you know, what our unity would look like. And so as a church, I, every week I was pouring different sands together here in this, this glass tub. And um, it was supposed to be a visual for everybody as they come into the church uh, building each week to remember who they are in Christ. And so every color is different. Um, uh, the red uh, symbolizes our unity and redemption. Uh, the blue talks about, um, the, blue talks about the, the faith that we have um, in the Son of God. The, the, the orange stands for the unity that we have in courage. Uh, I believe the green speaks of the unity we have in the new life that we find in Christ. The, the brown represents that Christ is our cornerstone. Um, and then the purple represents the mystery, the mystery um, of our faith. And I'm going to pour in uh, yellow today. Um, and yellow speaks of the gifts the gifts that Christ has given us as the body of Christ. We are all gifted differently, um, but uniquely, but also for the reason to, uh, for unity here in the body. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come and, and sing as we close out today. Thank you again for being with us today. Remember, you are gifted in this unique body of Christ for a purpose. Let's glorify God with them. God bless you for being with us. Just thinking about um, the message and how we are all gifted in all our different ways and how we're not being able to gather, um, just being encouraging to one another, whether you have a friend at work that um, maybe might be hitting with some depression or things going on with the kids and they need patience. And I feel like this is a good encouraging uh, song. Um, it's called White Flag. And thinking about everything that everybody's going through, um, we already know who's won the war, right? So we have these little battles we have to deal with, and surrendering your battles to Christ because he fights these battles for us. So.
this next coming week, if you feel like uh, Satan's just trying to trip you up and to uh, get you all tore up about something, just remember that you have encouraging friends at the church and you have friends and family that can encourage you with their gifts, but you have Jesus fighting those battles for you. So um, I just pray that this will give you some encouragement for this coming week. <laughs>